Hi, my name is Katie Penewetzel with Heritage High School, and you're listening to the Full Circle Podcast with 360 Preps. This is the Full Circle Podcast with 360 Preps. I am your host, Joshua Hart. Today, I am here with Preps reporter Meg Wachnick. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk about reclassification and what it means for our local area teams. Uh, it's a big cycle, and so we'll delve heavily into that. Uh, later on in the episode, we'll have Prairie senior guard Mary Dunford talking about uh, Prairie's league win streak and how she balances uh, school and her athletic life. So that's what's on tap for episode 22 of the Full Circle Podcast. Well, Meg, we are uh, recording with brand new audio equipment. Uh, we got we got the IT guy Chris gave us some pretty fancy stuff here, and so hopefully this sounds a lot better uh, for listeners going forward. You know, here we were praising back in what was it August when we figured out our own flaws with the mic system we had, and we thought, gosh, what a big difference that we made. Well, this is ten times better than what we had before, and I didn't think it could get any better than it did, but it has. Isn't this great? Yeah, we we were recording originally like with just we had we had mics plugged in, but we were not recording from the mics. Mm -hmm. So that was our first mistake through the first couple of podcasts. Right. And then we plugged the mics in and we're like, whoa, yeah, the, you know, they're actually working. Right, right. And now we have, uh, you know, a, a monitor, mixer. It's state it's of the good. art, right? It's going to help editing time. It's it's awesome. So I'm glad we got this and um, hopefully, hopefully it makes things sound a little bit better as um, it's a little bit of a learning curve still for me. So mm -hmm. hopefully in a couple episodes, you know, things start to sound real clear crystal clear for our podcast listeners, but I'm really excited for it. Um, but today we have much bigger things to talk about than audio equipment. Oh, really? I and thought that was going to be the whole show, whole 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and that is reclassification. Mm -hmm. Meg, first, I just want to ask, uh, this last two, three weeks that you've really delved into this, what's that process been like for you trying to track all this down? Uh, well, for starters, I will say on the record right now that reclassification is never a fun time for any journalist. It's a lot of phone calls, a lot of meetings sitting in, um, a lot of um, emails that go out, a lot more phone calls, a lot of phone tag. It's just a, a complicated process to try to figure out kind of who's going where as far as our Southwest Washington teams. Um, it's a bigger deal now because of the two proposed amendments that were passed um, last year that go into effect this fall. One of them is the WI going back to the hard count system to um, classify all of its um, six classifications. And the other one is a big one, and that's the socioeconomic uh, impact, which factors in free and reduced lunch um, to help really balance out um, the competitive value for some of those less affluent schools. So it's set to go into effect Sunday. That's when uh, the WI executive board up in Renton um, is scheduled to finalize all of the six classification numbers and enrollments uh, for the next four years. So it's a very, very busy process, but we're, we're far from over just yet. There's still a lot to be hashed out. Right. This has to be one of the biggest years of reclassification, um, or at least the most confusing for fans around the state because of those two new amendments of a set classification and the, the free and reduced lunch factor. Having both those come in at the same time right. has seemed to put a lot of this into kind of disarray as ADs are, are trying to scramble and figure out what this means for them and the leagues and all the restructuring that tends to come along with reclassification. 
It is. And two two schools in particular really benefited, first off, from the socioeconomic impact. And I wrote this. Uh, this is a story that you can find on Columbian.com for earlier in the week. And that's Fort Vancouver and Hudson's Bay being reclassified as two-way. Um, had the socioeconomic impact not come into play, these two schools would still be 3A. In fact, Hudson's Bay would be the smallest um, 3A school enrollment-wise on grades 9 through 11. And when I mentioned about what the socioeconomic impact is, they're basically taking a percentage from the state average, and that's 47% of schools statewide have kids on free and reduced lunch. And so, for example, Fort Vancouver comes in at 71%, Hudson's Bay at 62%. So what the state does is, or the WI rather does, is subtract that percentage that schools have from the state average and apply that, subtract that percentage down from its total enrollment. So again, for example, Fort Vancouver came in at 1181, and so you subtract that percentage differential, and that puts them in just under the, the 3A cutoff at 897. So, and this is a big deal, I think, for schools like Fort Vancouver. You gotta look at this as a win-win um, program-wide. I mean, this is an athletic department um, that struggles um, in a lot of ways. I mean, you look at the, the um, the football program kind of trying to um, find itself, reinvent itself through independent, um, but going to class 2A um, should benefit both schools pretty well. Right, yeah, and there needed to be something done. Clearly, um, you know, clearly there's a lot at play here when it comes to how competitive you can be in athletics, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, what income your parents make, and um, obviously, you know, there's there's some debate on what that means. You know, if you're living in Vancouver on free and reduced lunch or Seattle on free and reduced lunch, mm-hmm. uh, compared to you know Toppenish or Sela, that might look different. But I think this is a is a decent way of the WI trying to factor that in to uh, to to their decision making and, and trying to find a way to to you know get rid of that competitive imbalance where you you don't see the same schools winning year after year we'll see how it looks how it works but right now um it looks like certain schools especially locally could could benefit greatly so um so you mentioned fort and bay who else is is moving classifications um not because of their free and reduced lunch but just because of the reclassification process right there's there's four schools um total in clark county that will be shuffling i mentioned fort and bay um but heritage and stevenson are actually just moving down solely based on enrollment only um heritage is moving down to class 3a stevenson will leave the trico 1a and join the central 2b league again um, both of those schools had slightly above uh, the state average of 47%, but because their enrollment already dipped them down a classification, um, they already would have been a, a classification lower regardless of their free and reduced lunch numbers. So you kind of look at the lot of shuffling going on starting this fall of where schools land and, and what schools are getting or what leagues are getting some new schools. And one of those leagues that will expand to nine teams is the 2A Greater St. Helens League. Uh, what does that do for its athletics, and what have AD's response been to it so far? It's pretty much a done deal. I sat in on one of the league AD meetings just a couple weeks ago, and, it, and it's all but a done deal. Everything, just all the the, the I's are dotted, the, the T's are crossed, are just waiting for the WI to officially um, make everything a done deal on Sunday. But a couple factors. Number one is... Um, for the number of sports that have 16 um, regular season contests, mainly volleyball and boys and girls soccer, they're going to have actually three divisions um, to to basically balance out the, the number of league games. Because again, with a, a nine 
school contest, you're basically having all of your regular season games be league games. And so obviously the coaches don't want that. And so they're going to separate them by geography of where the schools are located and play 10 league contests. Then again, have six non-league contests. But the rest of the sports that have a traditional 20-game schedule, boys, girls, basketball, softball, baseball, that's your standard 16-game regular season slate, which leaves enough room for four non-league games. But that's kind of a mega league when you think about it. Nine teams, that's essentially half of our Clark County teams in one league right yeah it's a big league i i cover, i was in bellingham and they used to have the i think 11 team or 12 team northwest conference but um and they all just played each other but the 1a's were separate there was a 3a team mm-hmm. but they just called it a you know 12 team conference right. for most of the sports and then once teams went to playoffs they all went kind of their separate ways but right. um i think it'll be interesting to see how it works i think especially with a lot of uh the sports kind of factoring in rpi now in some some sense um not having that non-league you know ability to schedule um could impact some of the top teams as far as you know if our league is strong, then we will have a good RPI. If our league is not, then we'll have a low RPI, and there's not much they can do about it. So, um, you know, particularly, too, in the eyes of the football seating committee. Good point, yeah. yeah. So with with nine schools for football, again, Fort Vancouver will be independent. So there will be eight least, in football. Correct. So seven non-league, I'm sorry, seven league games, two non-league games. Again, because Fort Vancouver will be independent for 2020 as well as 2021. And that's what um, Athletic Director James Inslee confirmed to me, that yes, they will not be a part of the league schedule those first two years. So it's a lot at stake, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I'm sure some athletic directors are happy. It's a lot less scheduling they have it to worry is, about. It is. It is. I mean, that's the, the biggest issue is, is trying to schedule um, a lot of games, especially in, in the Class 4A Greater St. Helens League, where traditionally the last four years it's been a five-school league. That's a lot of lo- non-league contests that you got to find. Right. Let's talk about that. Let's do. 4A, 3A, uh, you know. What's going on with that? Let's start on the Battleground side of things. Mm-hmm. What's going on with Battleground? So Battleground filed a petition. Again, this is one of the new amendments that was passed just last year. The WI allows schools to basically file an appeal, file an, a petition to play down one classification in football. And there's a lot of factors that go into it. Uh, your, your win-loss record over the last couple of years, um, your program numbers, kind of a trends number thing. And one of the unique things that the WA also added was, what is unique about your program, your situation? And for Battleground, it's, there's, there's a number of student population, about 25% what the, the school administration told me, that doesn't participate in, in athletics for faith-based reasons. And that's just not athletics, that's band, choir, any extracurricular clubs. There's just no nothing outside of the normal school hours. So that's what Battleground fought for. Again, it's only, only in football. And I think the 4A and 3A leagues are basically waiting to see what happens and that decision will be made this weekend, this Sunday, as far as how do we approach this moving forward, depending on the outcome, if Battleground wins the appeal or not. In theory, there could just be three, four GSHL teams left. And Isn't that, that, that crazy? Do, that doesn't make a league, does no, it? No, it doesn't. No. And, and my hunch is it will be a combined league. That's what I think. Again, you look at it. There's nine teams left between 3A and 4A. The two A's have nine schools right there. So it would make the most sense logistical-wise, travel-wise, to make this across all sports 
a mega combo league. And frankly, I think it's it's a long time coming. I think this is something that should have been in the works a long time ago, um, but it makes the most sense for these schools. As far as let's say they combine, what does that mean? What do you think that means uh, for football and the the very talented three, four AGSHL teams that would be left? As far as their postseason implications go, I think for four A especially, it, it would you'd have essentially your three A teams would be almost like your non league non league contest. You're you're filling the schedule, you're helping each other out, but as far as the postseason and determining who gets what seeds, those two opponents or three again, depending on what battleground, if it wins or not, uh, those two to three opponents um, are essentially your league schedule. And so once you kind of filter out the the three A quote unquote non leagues, then you kind of get into the heart of your your season, your league season, playing uh, the traditional Camus's, Unions, Skyviews, and potentially Battleground if it's still 4A. There have been two recent state champions out of uh, three out of the last four years. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So coming out of uh, Southwest Washington. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I imagine that's not going to make some of those football teams very happy because that's going to reduce the chances they have of going to the postseason. Yeah. You, you look at the last. Last four years, Camus in 2016 went undefeated for his first state championship. 2018, Union went undefeated. Camus, obviously, we followed Camus through another undefeated postseason run. Um, That's tough. That's tough when potentially this could be a three-team league when you look at it. Right. And how many playoff spots are getting in? Probably not as many as they had this year in the last four years. Right. What's the estimated timeline for when this gets figured out with 3A and 4A? So I, I, I have a sense once everything is finalized up in Renton on Sunday, then we'll start to hear when things, when things are kind of getting finalized. I know um, there's been talk amongst the ADs. I've sat in on, on a couple meetings just trying to get a sense of what's happening. Um, there's some tentative stuff right now, but it's not official yet. And so I think once it's finalized Sunday, we should be hearing probably in the next, I would say, probably 10 days to two weeks. Right. It's kind of crazy. This is usually the time ADs are finalizing schedules for the following year. I, I don't think I would want to be an AD in this situation when you're still figuring out what the league structure might look like. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. This is <laughs> Especially not. Especially as you get to spring sports and things get so busy for ADs when they're, you know, have so many you know, teams spread out all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the time I would want to be trying to figure out a fall schedule. No, not not the not the least of it. No, but um, it'll be over soon. We right. promise. Right. As far as um, because of the set classification numbers, you know, uh, there's a hard cutoff. Mm-hmm. This has made the potential for division or classifications to have massively different numbers. Yes, and the reason why is because it's written in the WI handbook that. The percent there's a percentage like a four to one ratio of teams to qualify for a state right. tournament. So when one cla- in the past they tried to make it about what sixty five teams per classification. Right, it was about seventeen percent per per six classification. Right. Yeah, so it's about sixty to sixty two teams. So within this structure, now you're going to have uh, you know eighty some three A teams, a hundred some one B teams, fifty some four A teams. They have a set structure for how many state playoff spots you get if you have so many teams like you said a you know certain mm-hmm. amount of the teams should qualify for state you're going to have four different size brackets potentially for six classifications potentially yeah i was looking at some of the data that i received and again this is before all the opt-ups were finalized so for example in early january before the opt-ups were coming in there were 44 class 4a teams 
44. That's not right? good. That, no, that is the lowest of the low. And you want to know how many baby bees, I like to call them, the 1B schools there were? Take a guess. Uh, 104? 109. Ooh. That's a, a lot. lot. Jinx. <laughs> so the 1Bs would then have a 24, uh, 2014 brackets and everything. Yeah, I was doing the math. So of the six classifications, there would be four separate state tournament fields right. as far as the 24, numbers. 24, 20, 16, 12. You got it. And I'm curious how that works for basketball in particular when you have regionals and you have this 12 team you know 12 teams qualify for the dome and uh, how does this all work how does this all work for wrestling Re- okay I, so so don't you're get gonna me go started on your soapbox on, on this don't right get so, me started on we wrestling. got plenty of time <laughs> uh wrestling is gonna be <laughs> a nightmare because yeah. wrestling has has 16 brackets works great everybody fits in the dome mm-hmm. it's a two-day thing works out fine if one classification has 12, one classification has 24, one classification has 16, one classification has 20, trying to figure out what that means for regionals, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what that means for medalists, how many teams would get take home a trophy. Currently, everything's pretty simple. You right. know, outside of the Class B, which has very few wrestling schools, because they don't just base it on the number of schools in the classification, how many schools actually have that sport. Correct. You're right. And you're right. Very few 1Bs, and that's why the 2Bs and 1Bs uh, merge for wrestling. Right. So, you know, right now it's everyone gets eight medalists, four trophy teams, and in the in the Bs, you know, you have four trophy teams and six medalists for wrestling. That all changes potentially with so many different things. The other big thing is if you have a 24-man bracket, that's nearly impossible to fit in the dome in two days. Yes. So potentially what I have heard is that they would have to go to a three-day tournament. What that means is that either they have to hold that first day somewhere, some other venue for the 24-man and 20-man brackets and then put them in the dome the next day or move it out of the dome altogether and have it at separate venues. I mean, three days, that's a that's a huge money as far as throwing another how much rent cost right. for another day of the Tacoma Dome. Right. And having kids weigh in three days in a row is is very difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't you know there's no tournaments throughout the, the state that, that do that you know right now just weekend tournaments. I don't know how feasible it is to have you know tournaments three days in a row. Or then eliminate a just have a one day weigh in. Just have one day. Yeah. Eliminate eliminate a second day weigh in. Well, or that, that's third. and that's potentially what the the three a four a GSHL could possibly petition for if they they combine leagues for wrestling they would wrestle double duels, um, but it still adds you know or if they just wrestled single duels it would add you only get sixteen weigh ins just mm-hmm. like you know you only get twenty basketball games right so it would take away weekend tournaments from people so there's potentially talking about you know a two day tournament could only you know count as one weigh in. Mm-hmm. Um, how feasible that is is uh, I, I don't know is uh, Th- this know, is why I have bit. nightmares about reclassification this time of year. I mean, this is it's just a lot of things still to weigh out. Yeah, and it, it affects more than football and basketball. Of course, those are the big ones people are going to talk about. But mm-hmm. um, you know, to to factor it into some of the other sports, this is going to be a big toll uh, as we figure this out. And um, I'm a little worried for what that might entail. I think, in my personal opinion, it, implementing both things at once, the hard count of classification 
and the free and reduced lunch is too much because it, it puts so much in, in flux, it's hard to figure out where things stand. You can't predict it because it's brand new, two brand new things. Right. Um, if they would have gone one or the other and, and tested it out for a couple of years and then moved forward, I think it would have been a, a, a easier route as people try to figure things and, out. And we don't know how much of, of these two changes uh, will impact teams. We're not going to see it off the bat. It's going to take a little while to see, hey, did this socioeconomic impact actually make a difference for a number of these schools? Right. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like we said, is, you know, a free and reduced lunch student in Yakima may look different than a free and reduced lunch student in Seattle. Right. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. There's a lot to figure out. Um, Meg's been doing a really good job at, at kind of breaking that all down. Um, look for her stuff on 360preps.com and in the Columbian print edition. Uh, recently, we've also covered uh, Prairie's league title streak. That is, uh, the girls' basketball team has won 213 straight league games. So I sat down with Prairie senior Mary Dunford um, on what that streak means and, and the culture around Prairie basketball. The last time um, Prairie lost a game, she wasn't even born. So she talks about that and how she balances um, you know, her grades and uh, her social life and sports as a three-sport athlete. Um, Some really interesting stuff from her. So we'll jump right into that interview and be back in a bit. Yeah, you talk about, you know, that no, no one star type of type of team and and kind of how you you guys what I find so interesting is the ability that you guys are all confident in one another has that been something that's taken time to develop um, just kind of your confidence in each other uh, yeah I I think so we've even though like it's a new team we've all known each other for a long time like I've played with Ali and Dana and Anna and Kylie since middle school so um, we've had those relationships built like for a long time but now that we're actually like all playing on the court together um, it's it's good to have that like base relationship built because I think it really has helped us this season right yeah um, you guys are are eight and six five and oh in league and um, I think a lot of people, especially early on in the season when you guys dropped some of those non-league games, really started to doubt you. Um, how did you guys handle that? Is that something you pay attention to? I know Dana talked about it a little bit last night. Is that something you guys paid attention to internally? Um, we we knew that our preseason schedule was tough, and so knowing that we weren't losing to like crappy teams, it helped a little, but also our coaches did a good job of um, reminding us that like the things that we need to fix are like within us. It's not the other teams aren't doing things to make us lose. It's just um, a matter of us finding our rhythm and getting in a groove. And so they did a good job of reminding us like, don't listen to what people are saying. Like, just give it a few games. Like, we'll, we're going to be fine. Is locker room morale pretty high after the win over Hudson's Bay? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'd say so. Right. Um, yeah. The, the, you talked last night when I was talking to you after that win over Hudson's Bay, you talked about the culture of Prairie basketball. What does that mean for you guys? How would you, if you could put into words, what would you define Prairie culture as? Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, Prairie has been good at basketball. We've, it, Prairie's dominated girls basketball in Southwest Washington for over 20 years. And I mean, right now we're, on a 213 
game win streak in league and um I think what it comes down to is that like uh all the girls that play at Prairie are dedicated and they've seen um like the greatness of the players before them and then they have that encouragement to to follow in their suit um to follow that legacy and so I think that the girls just they come in knowing that they're going to be on a good team they're going to have good coaches and they have that like passion to work hard and right. give it all they have right yeah 213 games the last time prairie lost a league game you you were not alive uh no that that, that to me is just something insane you know is there how do you guys handle the the pressure of that streak if there is any um you know You've, you've seen other sports teams that have those long streaks they you know the the minute they lose everyone's kind of on their back uh how do you guys handle that pressure um yeah like I'm not gonna lie there definitely is pressure but it's it's also just exciting I think it's a matter of not letting that pressure get to you making it so you play nervous but um instead like flipping it and realizing like how exciting that is like you have the opportunity to continue that streak and not many people do um it's exciting to be a part of this great program right coach Hala corral is can get pretty intense and fiery what's it like to to have her as a coach um and get to see her you know standing up off the bench and i mean i think she tore ligaments in her <laughs> in her ankle because she gets so excited what what you know what's it like to to have her as a coach it's it's been fun she's been my coach uh she coached me in middle school too so we've known each other for a long time she's really helped me to develop um into the player i am today and it's fun definitely when um she gets excited for us and she's um just getting excited and cheering and everything uh it really helps our whole team i think you can just uh feel the excitement in the air right right yeah it's it's pretty fun to watch her get so animated very few coaches are like that and like just to to see that is really cool from a coach you can tell she's super passionate about it so i i really enjoy that um what what do you enjoy about basketball it's it's not your your main sport so what drives you to keep improving and and keep working at this thing um well i've played basketball since first grade so it's been a part of my life for as long as i can remember really and honestly it's just i love to compete like whatever it is i'm doing i'm i'm always gonna compete i really don't like to lose but um i love uh the team i love the team atmosphere of it sometimes because when like i run track and everything even though there is a team part it's it is really individual and so it's nice to uh come into basketball season knowing um that it's like a team sport there's some camaraderie there it makes it a lot of fun if people don't know uh you are obviously a cross country and track star i think if people didn't know they would have seen at the game last night last second uh you know late when you guys are trying to kill the clock it was as soon as it's inbounded just let mary go get the ball run down the court um what what drew you let's start on the cross country side what what made you turn out for cross country after playing soccer um well i played soccer my freshman year so freshman year I played soccer because I've played soccer since kindergarten and then I played basketball and um, the distance coach for our track team was my teacher that 
first semester and she's like are you doing anything in the spring and I said nope she's like okay come out for track and I was like all right I might as well um, and so I ended up finishing my track season um, really well I got second at state in the mile um, and so it kind of just made me take a step back and think about like I could actually like have a future uh, in this and so from that point I decided to quit soccer and move to cross country mm-hmm. do you ever miss soccer oh definitely I go to the soccer games and all of my friends play soccer um, I definitely miss it it was a big part of my life from kindergarten to freshman year um, but at the same time I can't imagine not have uh, like doing cross country mm-hmm. I love it you get to run at the next level at BYU. What was what was that um, process like to, to be able to, to get it, you know, commit there and, and be able to um, have that opportunity to, um, to go run at the next it's level? It's really exciting. I haven't signed yet. I've only verbally committed, but um, BYU's uh, where I've wanted to go since before I even started running, really. Um, so to be able to go there and to run is just like a huge bonus and like honestly I'm so excited. <laughs> it seems like run t- running definitely helps like the mental side of things in pretty much all sports. How have you seen that translate just maybe to your basketball basketball side when running is such a you know you're kind of alone in your head out there? Uh, yeah it's definitely uh, giving me some mental endurance I think like just in a basketball game um, when it's like the fourth quarter and you're tired, I just like sometimes I think at least I don't have to be doing mile repeats right now. <laughs> um, but I just remember like the the hard work I've put in in that sport, and um, it definitely has translated over to basketball too. I think. Right. As far as the basketball court goes, what are the goals the rest of the season for the team? It was, you know, like we talked about, it was kind of up in the air of what this team could possibly achieve at the start of the year. Now that you guys have figured out, what are your goals for the rest of the year? Um, well, definitely to start, we want to win another league title. I think that's 23, 23 yeah. in a row for us. So that's definitely number one. Um, but after that, I mean, honestly, just win as many more games as we can. It would be great to make it back to the Dome and to give um, some of these younger girls that didn't have the opportunity last year to play in the Dome to have that opportunity this year. The girls that were part of that that state championship team, do you think it's, or what do you think it adds when you guys do get to the postseason, knowing kind of the road and and having those girls that have experienced it before? Uh, It definitely helps having people that have been there before because I think it gets rid of some of the nerves. We know that like it's just another basketball game, um, nothing to get like too worked up about. So I think it helps just to keep everyone a little bit more relaxed. Right. Um, as far as your personal goals, what are what would you like to personally, you know, I- achieve in in the next, um, you know, both winter and and spring seasons? Well, um, for basketball, since uh, I'll be running in college, and this is my last basketball season ever which I still think is crazy I really just want to have fun like it's been such a big part of my life and I just want to enjoy um this last little bit of time I have left playing it um and I have been having fun this season it's been fun just to play hard and uh be with my team and as for track I mean uh finish as high in state as I can I guess I want to get another school record in the 800 but yeah 
right on. Um, outside of outside of um, basketball and sports and those side of things, what do you what do you do to kind of occupy your time? Um, definitely school is a big big thing for me. I've really placed a lot of importance on my academics, and I've put them first uh, before a lot of things. Um, yeah and that I just enjoy hanging out with my friends I'm really involved with my church as well so you talk about academics what what kind of advice would you give to you know um, student athletes coming up that are three sport athletes or that want to play three sports about um, about doing that simultaneously with keeping up good academics I'm I'm sure uh, you have to have good GPA and the extracurriculars to to go to a school like BYU so what would you what advice would you give um I'm not gonna sugarcoat it it was hard like last year junior year was definitely the hardest I took um, a few AP classes and it was hard to balance it uh, with just school homework and sports but it's definitely doable you just have to you just have to dedicate yourself to it and you have to make a goal like going into the school year that um, like you're gonna get all your homework done you're gonna study for that test and if you make that goal early on it's easier to stick with it for sure right on well that's all I had for you Mary I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, it's been a lot of fun watching your your basketball career and and I look forward to seeing you in the spring thank you All right, we're back in the Colombian studio to break down the three biggest events um, to watch in the next week. And quite frankly, I think it was a little bit of slim pickings this week. Well, I'm curious to see what you uh, came up with because <laughs> I have to agree with you on that. Uh, on Friday um, is is the I think the biggest one of this next of this next week, and you're going to be at that game, Meg. Uh, Prairie versus Evergreen Boys. The first time around, Evergreen uh, got that win over Prairie. Uh, what do you expect in that one? I expect another close game. Yeah, it was 57 50 for the first go around and that was actually the league opener so I believe this is the second uh, trip around the sun as far as the league play goes um, this will be my first time seeing Evergreen I know you've seen them a couple times they're probably from what I've heard from folks like yourself and some others who have seen them is this might be the most athletic team in Clark County and I want to see kind of how they go up against uh, a pretty impressive prairie team especially on the defensive end right yeah I mean I, I think that game can really go either way um Prairie has that defense, that scheme, but Evergreen has so many athletes mm-hmm. and, and guys that can just play. You know, I love Mario Herring's game. Carter Monda can shoot. And Jaden Stanley has really been manning the point really well for Evergreen, and I've been really impressed with how he's developed over the year. Um, that's a really tough team to beat. Uh, they, they play fast. They play hard. Uh, We'll, we'll see. It's a toss-up for me. Tough, tough to beat him at home, too. This will be at Evergreen. Right. So that's 7 p.m. Friday. Um, next Monday, uh, 7 p.m., Stevenson at La Center Girls uh, for the league lead as they go, you know, the first trip around this Trico. Uh, you know, what do you expect uh, from this one? I am very pleasantly surprised what La Center has done. You've seen them. I have not seen them yet this year, but all signs pointed to the classic rebuild year. When you lose a player like Taylor Stevens, the the school's all-time leading scorer, now at Central Washington. But it's her little sister who's come up clutch. Sophomore, too. Yes, right? Leading scorer right now for them. they got a couple kids averaging double figures. And they're undefeated right now, coming off an impressive win over... 
uh, Kingsway, which is the defending league champions. And it was Kylie Stevens with a nice uh, three-pointer with about, what, 15, 20 yeah. seconds left on their final possession to stay undefeated. So um, Katie Rathberger, I know, is a tremendous guard, a shooting guard for uh, for the Bulldogs. Katie out in Rathgaber. Rathgaber. I knew I was going to get that wrong. Um but this should be an intriguing game. This was a game that was supposed to be played about a week and a half ago, but because of the, the snow and the inclement weather out in the gorge, uh, they hadn't moved this game to Monday. So I think it'll say a, a lot to both teams, regardless of who comes out on top. Definitely. I think it's a testament to, to what Herm Van Weerdhuizen has done. Now you got that right. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's the first time I've said his name aloud. Um, but the, what he's done with that, that group um, – they really struggled in the non-league season, like mm-hmm. really struggled. And they, I think they started to figure something out in the holiday tournament they played in at Evergreen. The girls started to get some confidence back under them. And um, to see Kylie Stevens start to take over and realize her role on this, te- on this team um, and what she can do has been so important to that, that group. And uh, I've been really, really impressed. That league was wide open, talking mm-hmm. to coaches at the beginning of the year. Yeah, Kingsway was the favorite, but... You know, with so much unknown, with so many, so many graduating from last year, there was a lot of teams that it was like, throw your hands up in the air and go, who knows? Yeah. Um, so I think that'll be a really, really interesting game, and um, to see to see what both teams bring to the table. Um, and then finally, uh, next Friday, uh, there is district bowling at uh, the three and four age uh, district bowling at Crosley Lanes. Uh, there's a lot of good bowling in the area. You're just now figuring that out, are you? <laughs> Hey, this is my first bowling right, season yeah, down okay. here. I Fine. just remember seeing Fine. seeing the Longview teams, you know, go down and get beat up, but I didn't realize how how uh, how good it was. You know, we here. talk about the impressive streaks of, of Prairie girls basketball and winning over 200 in a row, but the dominance that has been of girls bowling in Southwest Washington really from the start since it became a sanctioned sport back in 2001. Um, this is going to be a fun fun district tournament. There are three berths. No. Two, two births. births. Yes, two births. And three Team. fantastic teams capable yes. of breaking 2,000. I mean, Prairie Girls Bowling, for example, the last five matches, I be, believe they've rolled over 2,000 pins. And if you know anything about bowling, that's an impressive mark when you kind of get that 2,000 pin threshold. Um, I think it's really anyone's tournament. You look at Bay, you look at Evergreen, and you look at Prairie. One of those teams isn't getting to state. Yeah. And that's a shame. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's fantastic league because Fort Vancouver's got some great bowling, I'm sorry. Too. Yes. Why did I forget Fort? I'm so sorry, Trappers. Yes. <laughs> Holy cow. Where have I been? So, I mean, you have some some fantastic teams in the area. Um, I know you're going to be out at that one, so I think it'll be a lot of fun. You ever covered bowling? No. It is, it is fabulous. And the listeners who have never watched high school bowling, let me tell you, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, you know, the kids get into it. There's a lot of um, just excitement in the air. The parents obviously get into it. And, and the best part is, and you mentioned this earlier today in the office, is there's no uh, officials or referees for people to um, yell at. Is it still pretty loud in there? It is, it is loud, especially I've covered state bowling a couple of times over my career up in uh, the Tacoma area. And um, it's just a great atmosphere. And it's great for uh, a sport like girls bowling to kind of get this attention Mm -hmm. like this so um i highly recommend heading out to crosley it should get going around about 9 a.m if anything just come for the turkey hats i mean that's just fabulous (laughs) 
Yeah, so um, that's going to be it for episode 22 of the Full Circle Podcast. Um, we've got some really interesting stories in the works, so make sure to follow us. Um, I'm at JTHeart23 on Twitter. Meg is at Meg Wachnick. We are all on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at 360preps. And then, of course, all of our content is on 360preps.com. So make sure to find us there, and we look forward to hearing from you again. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. Peyton Manning. Just a second.